Good morning. My name is Brian Elliott. I thought it might be appropriate if I tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, my wife and I have been going to uh, been fellowshipping here approximately uh, five years. Uh, we've been part of a youth or a growth group for uh, several of these years, and I've also uh, started singing a choir a number of years ago. I truly, truly enjoy both of those. Uh, I really appreciate choir. To me, choir on a Thursday night practice is, you know, you get off work and you're thinking you're so tired, but I know that we're going to be worshiping, and it's just a joy. I'm, I'm the guy who stands up here who, uh, who can't sing and clap at the same time, so if you see me, that's, that's, that's me up there. I've also been uh, sitting on the uh, elder board for the last year, and I've really come to appreciate and those gentlemen, their love for the Lord, their heart for God, and uh, it's, been a, it's been truly a joy to be sitting on that board. My wife is also a second grade teacher. She's been teaching there for, at Coal Valley Christian for about 10 years, so some of you might know me as Mrs. Elliott's husband. So why am I here teaching, you're going to ask. Well, Jackson's off celebrating his 25th anniversary, and, and Rod and Dennis said something about a super party or something, so they weren't going to be available. <laughs> Actually, I'm, uh, I'm originally from the Pittsburgh area, so... <laughs> That's pretty much the same reaction I got for a service. No, uh, I, Jackson asked me once before, and I wasn't able to, and he asked again, and I just I appreciate the opportunity to teach. I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy studying God's Word to see clearly how He speaks to me and to, and to others, and so it is really a privilege to me. Uh, I like the idea of, uh, of solving problems. I'm a, I'm a problem solver. Uh, in elementary school, I was one of those kids who would look through the math book and find all the word problems, and then go ahead and work through them, and then even take them up to the teacher and ask if I was right. Mm-hmm. This is published in 1965. It's called Arithmetrix from Scholastic Books, 35 cents. It's still in my library. But I do. I like to solve problems. Um, in my job that I'm in, that's probably pretty much what I do whether it's a business decision that needs to be evaluated and try to get fixed or, or even in the, uh, human, the personnel interactions of trying to resolve conflict. And, and uh, there's always that way in which you, know, you, you try to understand what's happening and you dig through all the junk and the clutter and you get to the real key issue of what's going wrong. And when you discover that, there's that kind of aha moment where now I can put something into place to fix it. Helen Keller, most of you are familiar with Helen Keller, uh, the lady who uh, at the early age went through uh, an illness that caused her to go blind and deaf. And the biography of Helen Keller talks about Annie Sullivan, her teacher, who went through the process of trying to communicate to her and trying to get her to break through that darkness that she was under as being blind and deaf. And in her biography, it, it, uh, it uh, identifies a particular time when that connection was made. It talks about how uh, they were walking through the field and, and uh, they came across uh, a woman pumping at the water pump and, and Annie Sullivan grabbed Helen by the hand and put her hand into the water and then her other hand she started signing water. And it, all of a sudden that she could see on Helen's face the connection was finally made. Helen writes about that situation, that incident, 
in her book, in her biography, she says, We walked down the path to the well house, attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle with which it was covered. Someone was drawing water, and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. As a cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled from into the other hand the word water, first slowly, then rapidly. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. We solve problems in, in, in everyday life, and we have those aha experiences. Some of them are fun. Some of them are like when we go out to our backyard and we're trying to create this certain atmosphere of peace and calmness and it's just not quite fitting and finally we get just the right plant or just the right placement of that rock and you kind of, that was good. Some of our aha moments are when we're trying to figure out the bills and just well, no way is this going to add up by the end of the month. But there is a time where you finally figure out how that comes to play. Some of them are a little bit beyond me. I, I still cannot figure out how I can get my teenager to put a dirty dish in a sink as opposed to on a counter. Can't connect there. Can't get it. Some of our problems we're confronted with go much deeper, though. You know, in our busy, everyday life, oftentimes we uh, forget about the important things, but every once in a while the Lord just kind of pulls us up and stops us, and we really stop and consider. We stop and consider, where do I belong? You know, sometimes that's brought on by maybe conflict. Sometimes it's brought on by your personal situation. You know, why did he leave me? Or why do I feel so alone? Sometimes God pulls us up and we, if we're honest with ourselves, we say, who are you, God? And how can I know you? And how can I know what you want from me? Why did this happen? What are you trying to do to me, Lord? Well, in our study this morning, in John chapter 14, that, was, that Cynthia read, we find that Jesus making a declaration that he is the key to life. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is making himself, and he's not making himself, but Jesus has become that aha experience in our life where we are connected to God through him. And I'd like to explore three aspects of, of that, uh, that declaration that he made. I'd like to explore it first from the sense that uh, Jesus said, I am the way. Because of him, we belong to God. We can belong to God. He is the key to that. Jesus also said, I am the truth. Because of what Jesus did, we can know God and understand him. And thirdly, Jesus said, I am am the life. Because of what Jesus did, we can, through God living in us and through us, have life. So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning and, and try to understand that whole concept. First off, Jesus said, I am the way. We've been dealing in our, in our situation here for the past couple of weeks of the, a very intimate setting. We have the Disciples and Jesus who've met in the, in the room to celebrate the Passover, and we have the Lord's Supper being celebrated for the first time. If you stop and think about some of the conversation that's gone, has taken place in this time period, we have uh, Jesus saying that one of you is going to betray me. That's a tough conversation to talk about in an intimate setting. 
We have an act of service where Jesus demonstrated his love by getting up and washing their feet and letting him see his attitude of service and his leadership that he's being displayed in that process. We have him offering to Judas, the one who's going to betray him, a piece of bread. Last week, Jackson was talking about the whole concept of love and the deep love that Jesus expressed to him. So we have this deep, intimate uh, kinship, this uh, very close relationship taking place. And if we stop and think about what the disciples have gone through with Jesus over the past several years and all the situations and circumstances that he was with them and through them and and showed them, some of the situations like... uh, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the 5,000, and seeing how that whole process took place. We have him at the well with, or at the well with a Samaritan woman and seeing him interact with a, an alien and a foreigner and the love he showed to him. We have him confronting with firmness the Pharisees and just being bold to them and really in a, in, in a loving but firm way trying to break them out of a tradition or, and their, their thoughts of what, of what God is like. We see him uh, entertaining children. We said, let, let them come to me. Don't hinder them from coming to me. Let's, that's a part of me too. We also have an expression from Jesus in this little intimate setting is the expression that he's preparing them, that he's leaving them. He's been telling them for a while that he's getting ready to leave. In uh, chapter 13, verse 33, he gets into it more specifically, and he says, Little children, I am with you a little longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, most of us know what it's like to go through kind of a separation. Um, I sent my son off to college a couple of years ago, and, you know, we were preparing for that, and we knew it was coming. But it wasn't until he started packing the suitcase that it really became a reality to me. In this situation, Jesus is, in a sense, packing his suitcase to prepare him because now it's really going to take place. And so there's a concern on the disciples' part about what's going to happen to them? Who is going to be their leader? Who is going to tell them what to do and where to go? And who's going to stand up to the, to the religious leaders like Jesus did? And who's going to do the miracles? And who's going to, to hold this group together? Who are they going to follow? Why couldn't they be with him? The disciples were concerned with this. You know, they had been, time after time, they'd been with them, they'd been walking and talking together, they'd been eating, they'd been fighting together, and now he's going to leave them. And they wanted to know who would replace them. Uh, we have three children. Uh, they're fairly grown now. But uh, in, my, in our younger years, they, when they were, I don't know, okay, around there, uh, we went to Colorado uh, to visit my wife's uh, relatives. Um, her brother lives in Colorado, and they have uh, five children. And uh, so we took the we took the crew in an old VW bus, and uh, we decided to go up into the mountains, the tourist town, and to just to walk around the shops and explore a little bit. And uh, towards the end of the day, we were tired and ready to go home, and so we we're doing the the rest stop thing. You know, everybody go to the bathroom, so because we've got a long trip coming back, and so they. Uh, they did that, and I don't know if you've ever been to Colorado, but Colorado has, uh, you know, when a storm comes into Colorado, it comes in pretty hot and heavy and fast, and just a torrential downpour. 
as we were standing there waiting for everybody to get finished up, this storm came in, and all of a sudden we just all dashed for the Volkswagen. And so we jumped into the Volkswagen, and we, we started to take off, and, and uh, you know, I had what, five, five uh, all these kids and five adults in this VW bus and trying to see through the windshield. And, and all of a sudden, uh, um, one of my nieces said, uh, where's Philip? Um, I had sent Philip to the bathroom. And I thought they were kidding. And so I said, yeah, right. And they said, no, really, Philip's not here. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know the Lord was on that road because I couldn't see through the windshield, but I did a U-turn right in the middle of that street. I didn't hit anything, and we bolted back to that area where we left Philip. And it hadn't been very long, but I jumped out of the van, and I torqued off to the middle of that courtyard where I'd left him. And I remember two things very clearly. One is the look on his face when I saw him because he was a lost little boy. And it was just like slow motion. I remember that hug. And he was safe. And he belonged to me. I think that's kind of how the disciples looked as they understood that Jesus was leaving. And Jesus, when he saw their faces, said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said to them, you belong. And he said it in a couple different ways, but first he said it in a way where it, re- it requires a response. Believe in God, believe also in me. Put your trust in me. The second, he used an imagery of a Eastern, uh, Eastern, uh, uh, in the Eastern culture, the symbolism of a wedding. And in the Eastern culture, what happened with a wedding was the young man would go to uh, his soon-to-be bride, his family, and they would make arrangements with the family. And uh, when they came to an agreement uh, about that they were to be wed, uh, the couple would drink a cup of wine to kind of seal that bargain, and then the young man would go back to his father's house to build onto that house. Over the next 12 months, this would be a time of preparation for both the bride and the bridegroom. She would be getting ready to leave. And, then, and she wouldn't know when he would be coming, but after about 12 months, he would, with a shout, show up at the house, and she was ready. And they would, in a procession, go back to the young man's house that he prepared, and there they would live and be wedded. And that whole time period that, uh, that they were apart, it was still considered uh, a husband and wife. But that's the kind of imagery that Jesus leaves with the disciples, that sense of, you are my betrothed, and I am coming back. And when I come back, when we go to my father's house, then we're going to be together. You belong to me. Sounds good, doesn't it? A home where you belong. A promise of togetherness. And belonging to God doesn't necessarily remove the immediate pain of, of what's happening right now in your life. But every soul is seeking a home that can only be satisfied with a right relationship to God. 
And so the question that Jesus presents to us is, have you accepted his wedding invitation? Have you accepted his betrothal? You know, the, using that imagery again of belonging, of betrothal, of that betrothal, uh, somebody can ask a young lady to be, to be married, but they don't have to say yes. And so this whole concept of Jesus being the way to the Father is, a, is a, an offering, a, a, a decision that's placed in our hearts, a decision that's placed in our lives that we have to accept or reject. But that sense of belonging to God's family is offered to us. And Jesus is the key to it. He is not a key. He's not one of many ways to God the Father. He is the only way to God the Father. And when we have that sense of belonging that's associated, that comes with knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, and being a part of God's family, then we can, we, yeah, there are times when we suffer from uh, other things or being felt left out or not belonging or, or in some situation. But when we focus and remember about our belonging to God's family, those things kind of pale in comparison. Jesus said, I am the way. Secondly, Jesus said, I am the truth. Because of Jesus, we know who God is. We know God. Thomas, in his, uh, in his interaction, his dialogue, said, uh, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. We don't, aren't even able to know the way that you're going. And there's where Jesus makes his statement. But I, I like Thomas, okay? I don't... I think he gets a bad rap when we call him a doubting Thomas. I think Thomas is like one of those individuals who probably speaks whatever comes to his mind. But it's what everybody's thinking. You know those kind of people? And so he says, we, we can't even know which way to go. Remember when, Thomas, uh, when Jesus appeared to, to the group inside after his resurrection and Thomas had said, unless I put my finger in his hands and in his side, I won't believe. Well, you know what, I, I think that would probably have been my heart as well. Oh. And so, I, again, I don't call him a doubting person. I just think he's speaking what everybody else is thinking. But Jesus, as a great teacher, takes Thomas's question and answers the way, answers it to, Thomas, you do know the way because you know me, and I am the way, and I am the truth. And because you know me, you can know the Father. I am the truth. Knowing the Father is not a behavioral, legalistic roadmap. Knowing the way is not that process. But knowing the Father is a relationship. That is the way. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. If we want to know what God is like, we see it in Jesus Christ. He is the perfect representation, the perfect uh, demonstration the perfect example of truth. I, uh, I've been uh, working for about two years with some stuff down at the legislative legislatures and uh, um, kind of came to a head this past week. And, and you know the frustrating part is, is you, try to, uh, you try to get really find out what is the truth about a situation. What is the, how can we define that? How can we lay that out in, in writing about what the truth is? You know, and I took home a, a box full of material that I threw in the back of my truck because I don't want to see it anymore. But just trying to discern what is the truth in this particular situation. What we have in Jesus Christ is, the, is a perfect truth. If we want to know what God is like, 
then we just have to look at Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. Thomas, you do know the way. I am the way. I am the truth. You can know God because you know me. If you would just stop with me and and think a little bit um, about Jesus and what he did and some of the things we can learn of God because of what he has done. For example, if we stop and think about God's love, how is that demonstrated through Jesus? You know, with the example that we, we find even in, in the last, last Supper here where he washed their feet. Or the most telling example of his love, of giving his life. We see him washing the feet of the disciples. What is God's heart like? Can you see what God's heart is like in, through Jesus? And I think of his good intentions, his goodness that he desires to every person. His heart is good. How about his wisdom and knowledge? Can we know God, what God is like in his wisdom and his knowledge? And I, one of my favorite things that I've always enjoyed uh, about Jesus was that one where, where he uh, was confronted to try to get trapped by the Pharisees about the paying of taxes. And he said, give me a coin. Whose face is on that coin? He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God's what is God's. What a wise, wise choice, a wise, knowledgeable man and God. His leadership. How many times do we find Jesus going off to pray to the Father, to learn, to, to hear from him, to commune with him? How about how he assigned the disciples work? Remember when he sent the disciples off two by two? He wants them to grow, to mature. His compassion for those who are weak. I think of the Samaritan woman. How he met her at the well, this alien woman. And how he so gently confronted her with her life of sin and how he directed her to him as the answer. I think of Jesus in his firmness with the Pharisees and those religious leaders, how he, in his firmness but love, confronted them and tried to break them out of their traditions which conflicted with God's love. Jesus said, I am the truth. So because of what we see in Jesus, we can truly know God. Jesus, again, is the key. Philip pipes in with a little question here in verse 8. And I think it's also a question that uh, can be as a warning for us all. And Philip said, Lord, uh, show us the Father and that is enough for us. How much proof is enough? Sometimes we like to have things that we can control, including our God. We would like to be able to put our hands around what it means to be God and to be able to control that and kind of, you know, this is the part of my life and I'm going to segment it and I'm going to just let that be something to grasp on. 
Or how much do we need to, uh, David Roper talks about this aspect too when, when he says that oftentimes when it gets down to it, it's a moral choice and not a matter of proof. And that's truly how things happen because often when it comes to understanding who God is or, or making that choice of faith, many people choose not to believe because not because they don't have enough proof to show that, he is, that Jesus is God, but because of the consequences of that action that might cause them to change, to give up something that they want to hang on to. So I see this as kind of a warning to us. And Jesus responds to Philip and he says, Look, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip, you've been with me all these years and I am the Father. I, I am the true, the, the, I am God. So what you see here is what God is like. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Now here's a little phrase that kind of opens up a door that we're going to be looking at over the next couple weeks and also goes into that third aspect of, of, of Jesus said, I am the life. Because of Jesus... God can live in us and through us in our life. But this little word abide here, and as you look ahead to the, to the next couple of chapters, you see it talking about the vine and the branches and abiding in the Father and the Father abiding in, in us and, and how that empowers us and how our life is lived not because of our talents and our efforts, but because when Christ is in us, that is his life being lived out through us. Jesus is the key to that whole aspect when it comes to living a godly life. He said, I am the life because God lives in and through us. This past weekend, the slides. This past weekend I was with the men up at the Quaker Hill. And a good time. I really enjoy, I love the snow. Uh, it was just a, a wonderful time of, of fellowship and rest. There's the group singing. But I love the chapel. It's a log cabin chapel. And uh, one of the things, uh, as I'm sitting there, I, I'm often distracted by looking at the architecture. You have uh, all these different sized logs, and they have little knots and holes, and then some of them are split. And you, you try and look at that, and it just the whole building just kind of sits there, and, and it's, just, it's just a gorgeous thing. And and, uh, and then there's the times when we, as I was sitting there this past week and next one too, and we started singing and, and praising and worshiping God, and the thought occurred to me is, is that's kind of like how my life is. Is I'm kind of a, a naughty, split, uneven kind of an individual. But as the Holy Spirit in me, Christ in me, is made evident, then I no longer see the chapel I see the presence of God. And when Jesus said that he is the key to that life, that's what he's saying. It's because of what Jesus did. Because of how Christ can abide in our life and live our lives, live his life out through us. That is the key to all those things that the to, to life as a promise of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were probably a little bit disturbed and frightened. 
and they wanted to be with Jesus. But Jesus knew and understood that he was going to be in them, and the disciples wanted to be with him. What a wonderful way to understand and to know what that key to life is. Jesus said, I am the way. Because of him, you can belong to God's family. Again, I'm going to go back to that betrothal of a marriage thing. If, if someone offered to you uh, to be married, you would have to either say yes or no. So my question is, that when it comes to where you, are you a part of God's family, is have you said yes to belonging to God? Maybe you are struggling with the issue of who God is. Well, I think we just have to take a look at who Jesus is. And that is the perfect understanding of God because he in his life and in his continual uh, actions has demonstrated to us what God is like because he is God. And then lastly, it is God living his life through us. Not me not my imperfections, not my efforts, but Jesus Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you as we come before you. Again, it is your word which speaks so much to our hearts and our needs. And Father, I thank you that you, in your wisdom, have provided the key to being a part with you, and it's through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would embrace Jesus in our life, in our hearts, in our body. In Jesus' name, amen.